First Kings chapter number one. All right, everybody doing okay tonight? Anybody sleepy? Okay, that's fair. That's, it's the end of a long day, middle of the week, and uh, hopefully, if you're tired spiritually, you'll leave here energized spiritually. That's the goal. All right, let's stand for the reading of God's word. First Kings one, thirty-eight through forty. The Bible says, So Zadok the priest, and Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and the Cherethites, and the Pelethites went down and caused Solomon to ride upon King David's mule and brought him to Gihon. And Zadok the priest took an oil of horn out of the tabernacle and anointed Solomon. And they blew the trumpet, and all the people said, God save King Solomon. All the people came up after him, and the people piped with pipes and rejoiced with great joy, so that the earth rent with the sound of them. Israel has had the same king for 40 years. 40 years is a long time to have the same leader. That's a generation. And now they're going to transition from David to a new king. David's at the end of his life. And so they're going to go through a transition. So that brings us again to the title, Traveling Through Transition. Traveling Through Transition. Let's pray. Lord, help us tonight as we revisit the topic we began last week. And Lord, uh, no doubt someone here in the room is going through some sort of transition in their life. Uh, Lord, if not, we all have a transition right around the corner in some way. So Lord, help us to take the truths that we look at tonight and apply them to our lives where we can. And then, Lord, guard them in our hearts for a future moment. And, Lord, so just meet with us and speak through me to the audience. But, Lord, beyond that, we pray that your Spirit would confirm and, Lord, just impress on our hearts those truths that we need. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Transitions. We said last week by way of introduction that transitions are a great place for Satan to do his best work. Transitions are a great place for Satan to do his best work. Transitions come in all forms. Whether you're transitioning in, 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 uh, in between jobs or maybe even transitioning at work. Transitioning in your housing. Transitioning in a relationship. Sometimes transitions are neither good nor bad. Sometimes they're good and sometimes they're bad. Uh, but all the same, transitions are a great place for Satan to do his best work. Why is that? Well, the Bible tells us that God loves things to be done decently and in order. Decently and in order. When you have a routine, you have order. Right? You get up at the same time. Right? Maybe you uh, read your Bible and pray first thing in the morning. And then you get yourself ready for work. And then you're out the door at the same time each morning. And then you have about the same work schedule. And then you maybe go to uh, uh, exercise at some point in the day. Uh, or you exercise your arm by putting food in your mouth. One way or the other, you get some exercise in, right? And then it's back home. And then you have your evening routine. And we're all creatures of habit. How many of you sit in about the same place each uh, service in the church auditorium, right? Uh, how many like to park in about the same parking spot uh, each week? And so, uh, listen, uh, uh, we, we're all creatures of habit, and 
God made us that way because God is a God of order. We're made in the image and likeness of God. And so we like that order. Transition, what it does is it takes that order and it throws it up in the air and it just falls down everywhere. And now all of a sudden we have a chance for great disorder in our life. Whether that's with a relationship, whether that's with a job, uh, whether that's with our health, uh, disorder or transition is a time where Satan does his best work. Why is that? Why is it that Satan can get us in a time of transition? Last week we said because Satan exploits our lack of faith. He exploits our lack of faith. We, We don't really believe uh, maybe you don't really believe that God has everything in control and that God is the God of your tomorrows. God's already there. He's already walked through that transition that you're going through. And so you, 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 you what if things to death. Listen, I have done it. You have done it. You lay in bed at night and you wring your hands with all of the what ifs of life. What if this goes this way? And what if this goes that way? And uh, maybe you got a big meeting at work the next day and you wonder how that's going to go. And maybe you got a big meeting with a boss or maybe you have to confront a loved one over something they're doing and you, you play out all the scenarios in your mind and what Satan does is he can exploit our lack of faith. He can also exploit our lack of courage. Uh, he can exploit our lack of boldness. And so uh, these were all uh, uh, ground Groundwork for the story here in 1 Kings 1. We said when traveling through a transition, it is important to remember that God knows the path well and is two things in our lives. We said God is two things in our lives during times of transition. We said first, He is capable. God is capable. No matter what you're going through, God is capable of helping you through it. It does not matter if you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It does not matter if you're having to go see an oncologist because you've been diagnosed with cancer. Uh, It does not matter if you have a child who's going through a hardship in your life. It does not matter if you're facing divorce or discouragement or even the valley of depression. God is capable and we must... Put our eyes on our Master who can walk us through this time of transition and get us through on the other side. I, I like you, would prefer to stand on top of a mountain than, uh, than dwell in a valley. And uh, that's not just metaphorical. I would much rather stand on top of a mountain and look down from the mountain and see everything miles and miles. Uh, listen, I know this is a smaller example, but how many of you ever gone to Wallingford and, uh, and gone up, uh, let's see, there's a uh, hiking trail there, the name escapes me at the moment, there's a castle at the top, Sleeping, Sleeping Giant. Giant, there it is, uh, how many of you ever gone up the Sleeping Giant, gone up the top of the castle and looked for miles? The rest of you are missing out. It is beautiful up there, okay? Uh, if you have kids, it's a good family, good, clean, fun family activity to do. I would much rather be on top of the mountain than I would be down in the valley. Uh, but listen, here's the truth about a valley. A valley is only a valley because it's got a mountain on both sides. And you're standing on top of a mountain today. You may be down in the valley tomorrow. How do you get out of a valley? you got to keep moving forward. You gotta keep putting one foot in front of the other. You know, I like being at the top of the sleeping giant in the castle and looking out for miles and miles and miles and miles and seeing things a long ways away. But you know what I don't like? I don't like the burn in my legs that it takes to get to the top of the mountain. 
And uh, you know, sometimes uh, when you're going through a hardship in life, that's the spiritual burden you're experiencing because you're going through a transition. But do not forget, God is capable of taking you out of the valley and up on top of the mountain. But not only is God capable, He is caring. Would it it matter if God was capable but didn't really care about you? It wouldn't matter, would it? Uh, It would not matter if God had all the power in the world but did not care enough to even notice you and and uh, pay attention to your struggle. Um, I am thankful that there are people in this world that have lots of money. I am. I'm not necessarily one of them, but I am thankful there are people in this world that have lots of money. But you know what? If they don't know who I am, their money does me no good. You know what I'm saying? And it is great that God has all the power in the world. But if God did not pay attention to me, all that power and all that capability would mean nothing if He paid me no mind. The beautiful thing about God is not only is He capable, He is so caring, He knows every single detail about you. He knows details about you that you don't even know about yourself. Do you know how many steps you've taken a day without looking at a, without looking at your wrist? All right. Uh, the, the Lord knows; He counts your steps. Do you know how many tears you've cried in your lifetime? God has your tears in a bottle. Do you know how many hairs are on your head? God knows every one of them. Do you know how many thoughts that you thought today? You don't know the number, but God knows. The number. But watch this. Not only does God know who you are right now, God knows that emergency that you're going to face in the next six months. He already knows it. He already knows the heartache you're going to feel. God knows the financial strain that awaits you. He's already there. And He knows the way through it. Listen, God already knows the the medical emergency that is going to come down on you in the next couple of years. Those things don't take God by surprise. Not only is He capable, but He is caring. He's caring. So we're looking at, we've looked at David's life from teenage boy all the way to the end. We've made it to the end of David's life. He's, he's if you will, in hospice care of sorts and He's um, uh, getting ready to transition power over to his son Solomon. The whole nation is getting ready to go through a transition with David. David is transitioning from life into eternal life. And Solomon is getting ready to transition from a prince to the king. But boy, there are some turbulent times awaiting. There's some uncertainty in the country and there's some men who are going to have to step up and lead in order to make this transition a success. Let's jump back into the outline tonight and uh, let's notice the rest of it here. Uh, Quickly at review, notice David's problem. Number one, David's problem. We saw in verse 1-4 through of the chapter that David is losing heat. No amount of blankets or clothing can uh, can help him. He's free, freezing cold. Um, he's an old man, well stricken in years, and so they bring in a young lady named Abishag to be his caretaker. And she's a virgin girl and is uh, remains a virgin girl uh, even with David. And so there's nothing sexual about this, but she is used to help David maintain heat. And so she, if you will, cuddles with him in order to help him stay warm. And so uh, David's problem is a medical problem. Number two, we 
said Adonijah's plot. Now, who is Adonijah? Adonijah was Absalom's little brother. And we see that Adonijah has some serious behavioral issues. Letter A, notice his self-exaltation. Look at me at verse number 5. Again, we're laying the groundwork as we get into the rest of the Bible study here. Verse 5, Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself saying, I will be king. And he prepared himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. So Adonijah is going to be the antagonist of the story. He's going to come along and he's going to exalt himself. He sees his dad getting sick. Does Adonijah run to his dad's bedside and lovingly check on him? No. He sees dad's sick and dying. And um, this is what these type of people do. When they see weakness, they exploit weakness. And so Adonijah is right there in a time of weakness. He exalts himself and says, I will be the next king. Letter B, we see his selfish entitlement. Look at verse number 6. And his father did not or had not displeased him at any time in saying, Why hast thou done so? And he also was a very goodly man or a handsome man. And his mother bare him after Absalom. So what made Adonijah a monster was his father. His father made him a monster. His father created this. We said last week that David was a great man. He was a great king. He was a terrible father. And what made him a terrible father is that he did not know how to tell his children no. No, you can't do that. No, you can't go there. No, you can't have that. And listen, sometimes as a mom and dad, uh, just to reiterate what we said last week, sometimes the best thing you can do is just look at your child and for no good reason just let them say, no, you can't go there. No, you can't do that. No, you can't have that. Because children need to learn how to be told no. Otherwise, they think that everything is for them. And they become very entitled. And what happened here is that he restrained not his son. Adonijah got whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted, and would do so through whatever means possible. And being a prince, he played the system. He played on his dad's looseness and he became entitled. So now dad is an old man. Adonijah does not know what it's like to be told no. And so he exalts himself and tries to grab hold of the reins of power to be entitled. We see this even today with a lot of politicians' children who seem to think that they're above the rules and they can do what they want whenever they want, however they want, and they can just get away with it. By the way, it's both sides of the political aisle. This happens on. and uh, uh, Entitlement. It's an entitlement attitude. And Adonijah got, uh, thought he could just get away with whatever he wanted. Moms and dads in here tonight, learn how to tell your children no. Learn how to teach them denial. By the way, on this quickly, uh, do you know how to say no to your own flesh? When your flesh wants something, are you capable of saying, no, we're not going to do that. No, we're not going to go there. No, we're not going to watch that TV show. You say, no, we're not going to watch that sporting event. It could be there's nothing even wrong with it. But just your flesh craves it. And so, no. Listen, it's a battle. I'm telling you it's a battle. Last night I was doing some uh, housework and I'm standing in the kitchen uh, doing some cleaning and I started to get hungry. And I already already had dinner. Let me rephrase that. I was not hungry. I wanted a snack. All right. There's a difference between being hungry and wanting a snack. And so I open up the pantry. I'm telling myself. My wife doesn't even know this. All right. I open up the pantry and there's a 
a, a, a sleeve of pretzels. Uh, not, not pretzels, uh, Pringles. There you go, Pringles. And I thought, oh man, those look so good right now. And so they weren't even a flavor I liked, but I just had to have it. And so I put some of those in my mouth. You know what I should have done? I should have said to my flesh, no! No! And you know what, moms and dads, when you tell your kids no, and you teach them to say no to the flesh, they grow up learning how to be disciplined enough to say no when they would want to say yes. You know why kids end up giving away their virginity and why premarital sex is such a big problem in our country? Because kids are given whatever they want from birth up to 18 and moms say, yes, you can watch TV. and Yes, you can eat that. And yes, you can go there. Yes, you can do this. And yes, you can do that. Yes, you can play those video games. And yes, you can buy that. Oh, and I'll get you that for Christmas and I'll get you this for your birthday. It's yes, 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 yes. And so they want, they want, they want. They get, they get, they get. And then they get a little older and their body wants to have premarital sex. So you know what they do? They just go get it. Because they've never been told no. And they don't know how to tell their own flesh no. Because they've never been denied. Sometimes the best thing you can do for your child is just say no. Why? Because I said so. And they cop a little attitude. Hey, you need to get your attitude straight or you're going to be in trouble for that attitude. And smile at it. Give me that cell phone. <gasps> my cell phone, my life is on that cell phone. Yeah, you need to learn how to live without the cell phone for a couple hours. Amen? One of my children came up to me a couple days ago and said, I'm done with my homework. I've, 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 I've practiced the piano and I've read my Bible and prayed. Can I watch TV? And you know what I said? No. And he looked at me like, and I said, do you know how to entertain yourself without a screen? And I got a blank stare and I said, no TV today. Figure it out. Bye. Have fun. See ya. You say, Pastor, you're mean. No, no, I'm not mean. I'm training my children. I'm trying to train my children how not to be an Adonijah. We've got a country full of Adonijahs. Well, I believe we have Adonijahs in this church. Moms and dads don't know how to say no. So why is Adonijah trying to route David's plan to make Solomon king? Because he's exalting himself. He's, he feels entitled, let her see notice, his sly exclusivity. Look at verse number 7. And he conferred with Joab. So he's grabbing David's general and, and, and winning him over to the team. Uh, and with Abiathar, the priest. So Abiathar's broken from the ranks now. So he's got a general, he's got a religious man, and they help Adonijah, uh, and they following Adonijah, helped him. But Zadok the priest, here's the exclusivity, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and Nathan the prophet, and Shimei, and Rei, and the mighty men which belonged to David, were not with Adonijah. So there's a divide here. And Adonijah slew sheep and oxen, and fat cattle, by the stone of Zoheleth. So they're having sacrifices in order uh, to festivities to make Adonijah a king, uh, 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 let's see, uh, which is by Enrogel and called all the brethren, the king's sons, and all the men of Judah, the king's servants, but Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah, and the mighty men, and Solomon his brother, he called 
not. So you see an exclusivity here. He's hand-selecting who can come to this, this ceremony where he's making himself king and there's folks he's leaving out. And so we see the exclusivity, Adonijah's plot. Number three, we see Nathan's prudence. So Nathan, we know who Nathan is. Nathan is the one who confronted David after the sin of Bathsheba. Nathan was the one there that came and told David about God's Davidic covenant with him back in, I believe that's chapter 7 of uh, of, of 2 Samuel. And so Nathan, he is going to put a plan together. We see letter A, his action, and letter B, his appeal. What was his action? He goes to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, and he says to her, listen, if you don't follow my instructions, Adonijah is going to become king, and he's going to have you and Solomon killed. So you need to listen very closely to what I tell you. You need to go into David right now, and you need to uh, beg him to make Solomon king, and you need to tell him what Adonijah is up to, and while you are doing that, I'll come in and, and, and I'll... I'll confirm what you're saying as the as the priest, as the as the uh, his religious leader, as a spiritual guide. I'll come in and confirm that. So sure enough, Bathsheba goes in and um, and uh, from 15 down through 31, and she pleads her case with David uh, to step up as his last act as king and make Solomon king. And uh, Nathan comes in behind and says almost the same thing Bathsheba says and. Uh, David moves forward uh, with the plan. That leads us to number four. Get your pens out. Here we go. Number four, David's pronouncement. David's pronouncement. Look at verse number 32. We see his selection of Solomon. Letter A, his selection of Solomon. David's pronouncement, his selection of Solomon. Look at verse 32. The Bible says, And King David said, Call me Zadok the priest, and Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and they came before the king. The king also said unto them, Take with with you the servants of your Lord, and cause Solomon my son to ride upon mine own mule, and bring him down to Gihon. So, as with any situation with a large group of people, there's some confusion about who David wants to be king. And uh, even Nathan says, did you choose Adonijah to be king and didn't tell me about it? If so, let me know that. And so there's some clarity needed and David makes it clear, no, Solomon is to be the king. So move forward with making Solomon the king. Solomon the one that had been trained. Solomon the one that had been developed and nurtured and tutored and prepared, the attention had been put on Solomon, and Solomon had been made ready to be king. Now quickly here, I want to take a second and talk about the grace of God. Because if Solomon is not a picture of the grace of God in the Old Testament, then I don't know what else would be. Uh, You may remember that uh, Bathsheba was married to Uriah. And that David took Bathsheba and slept with her and committed adultery with her. Now this is my opinion. Again, I'll state, this is my opinion. I believe that affair was consensual. I believe it was consensual. Why was Bathsheba bathing on the rooftop where she could have been seen? One. Uh, two, you cannot tell me that Uriah, being one of David's mighty men, that David and Bathsheba had not had previous interactions. I believe that they had gone to weddings together and they had gone to funerals together and they had gone to social events together. And David and Bathsheba, in my opinion, had had some interaction 
prior to. And so David sees Bathsheba bathing. He says, who is this beautiful woman? And uh, it's told to him it's Bathsheba. And he calls to have her brought there into the palace. And uh, there they sleep together. And then uh, Bathsheba helps David conceal this. And Uriah is killed. And Bathsheba says nothing. We see her loyalty more lies with David than it does with uh, Uriah. And so then he marries her to cover this up and hide this thing. And uh, they have their baby. And we know that that baby is is, is taken, is, is killed. As a result, God takes that baby on home to heaven as a result of punishing David and Bathsheba. But then, David and Bathsheba have another child. And that child's name is Solomon. Solomon. So the king that follows David, that sits on David's throne, the wealthiest and wisest king ever to rule in Israel is the product of God's great grace. God's great grace. You may be sitting here this evening and thinking to yourself, boy, I have blown it. I have sinned. I have done wrong. God is through with me, my friend. God is never, ever, ever through with you. It does not matter what you've done. If you pick yourself up and you give yourself back to God, God can make a a miracle out of your mess. But He can't if you don't stop sinning and give Him your life. We get Solomon because of David's great repentance and his heart turned back to God. God gave Bathsheba a baby named Solomon and now Solomon has been, been selected to be king. I look at... Children who were born as a result of, of um, uh, a sinful relationship. You have a couple who are living um, or, or sleeping together outside of the bonds of marriage. Can I say this right here? It is never God's will for two people who are unmarried to have sex. It is never God's will. We had a couple sit in uh, the office there where I was an assistant pastor. I sat in with the senior pastor and... This couple wanted to, to get married at our church and uh, they had already been living together and had a baby together and had been coming for a short time. And uh, the pastor told this couple, he said, I will marry you, but first you need to separate for a time and show that you can live pure and then I'll bring you back together. And uh, she, uh, she said, well, I'm not going to do that. We're not going to do that. And he said, well, I'm sorry and we can't marry you here, and that was that pastor's policy, and I I deeply respected that uh, desire to have them show contrition over their sin and a desire uh, to get it right. And then she pointed at the baby as if to say, God gave me this child, and so that makes everything okay. I remember after they left the office talking to the pastor, and he said to me, he said, that life is precious, and God values that life, but that does not validate the sin that created that child. Can I say that if you were the product of a a mom and dad who were not married, and you were the byproduct of a sinful relationship, God still has great purpose for your life. And God's grace can use you in a mighty, mighty, mighty way. Every life is valuable. But that does not mean we can run roughshod over God's laws and God's rules. We see his selection of Solomon, letter B. We see the specifics of the ceremony. Look at verse number 34. Verse 34. 
So David says, and let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him there king over Israel and blow ye with the trumpet and say, God save King Solomon. Then ye shall come up after him that he may come and sit upon my throne for he shall be king in my stead and I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and over Judah. And Benaiah the son of Jehoiada answered the king and said, Amen. The Lord God of my Lord, the king, say so too. As the Lord have been with my Lord, the king, even so uh, be he with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord, King David. So we see the specifics of the ceremony. He's to be taken down. The priest is to anoint him before the people in this uh, assigned place. Letter C, we see the size of the celebration. And so you have uh, Adonijah over here, and he's declaring himself to be king. He's got a handful of powerful people around him trying to make this happen. And then you have those men who are loyal to David taking Solomon and publicly making him king. And let's see who the people side with. Do the people choose Adonijah, or do the people follow David and choose Solomon? Look at verse number 38. So Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and the Cherethites and the Pelethites went down and called Solomon to ride upon King David's mule and brought him to Gihon. So that's interesting. They forced him onto David's mule. He didn't want on there. And they they, they, they take him uh, by horse down to this Gihon 39, and Zadok the priest took a horn of oil out of the tabernacle and anointed Solomon. And they blew the trumpet, and all the people, notice that all the people, People said, God save King Solomon. How many people were there uh, present? Look at verse 40. And all the people came up after him, and the people piped with pipes and rejoiced with great joy. Look here. So that the earth rent with the sound of them. Have you ever seen or been around or heard of a sports stadium of a 100,000 plus people and they're cheering so loud that the ground begins to shake? And that it's actually measurable on the Richter scale? There's that, 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 you only get that, by the way, when you have a 100,000 plus fans who are screaming at the top of their lungs. The Bible says that the earth tore, uh, the, the, the celebration was so loud. So you have in excess of a 100,000 people here who are celebrating the fact that Solomon has been made king and so the size of the celebration. So we see that Adonijah is not going to win this battle here. So uh, the nation of Israel is moving through this transition quite well, even though Adonijah is creating problems. Lastly, number five, we see Solomon's poise. Solomon's poise. The remainder of the chapter deals with Solomon and how he handles Adonijah. But first, let's look at Adonijah and his buddies and see how that turned out. Notice letter A, Adonijah's desertion. We got some music playing over the speakers, I believe. All right, I was wondering what that was. Thank you very much. Is that someone's phone? All right. The old joke is, tell him I said hello. All right. Okay. Adonijah's desertion. Look at verse forty-one. This is how it usually works when people are friends for the wrong reason. And Adonijah and all the guests, so the earth is, is, is torn, right? And uh, they don't know what's going on. There's this loud noise outside. Adonijah and all the guests that were with him heard it. 
as they had made an end of eating. So they're still celebrating, declaring Adonijah king. And when Joab heard the sound of the trumpet, he said, Wherefore is this noise of the city being in an uproar? For the first time, Joab's out of touch. 42, And while he yet spake, behold, Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, the priest. By the way, Abiathar is there at the celebration. His son Jonathan shows up, uh, came, and Adonijah said unto him, Come in, for thou art a valiant man, and bring us good tidings. No, Jonathan doesn't have good tidings. Jonathan answered and said to Adonijah, Verily our Lord, King David, hath made Solomon king. And the king hath sent with him Zadok the priest, and Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, all those people you excluded, and the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and they have caused him to ride upon the king's mule. And Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king in Gihon. And they are come up from thence rejoicing, so that the city rang again. That is the noise that ye have heard. And also Solomon sitteth on the throne of the kingdom. And moreover, the king's servants came to bless our Lord, King David, saying, God, uh, make the name of Solomon better than thy name and make his throne greater than thy throne. And the king bowed himself upon the bed. Alright, let me pause there. So you would think, okay, Adonijah here, he's got Joab. Joab has been the second most powerful man in Israel for the last 40 years. He's got Abiathar, who's a high-level priest uh, in his ranks. You'd think, well, maybe they've got a way, a coalition of, of overthrowing Solomon. No, that is not what happens. Look down at verse number 48. Uh, and also, thus saith the king, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which hath given one to sit on my throne this day, mine eyes even seeing it. And all the guests, here's what happens, that were with Adonijah were afraid and rose up and went every man his way. They desert. They abandon. They jump ship. They are out. They're nowhere to be found. They are gone. By the way, if you build, I want you to hear what I'm about to say. If you build friendships off sinful reasons, those friendships will break off the second the circumstances change. Scorners are drawn to each other in friendship. But the second that the chief scorner is in trouble, everyone else abandons and runs away. Think about the prodigal in the book of Luke. He had friends as long as he had money. But when the money ran out, the friends ran out. Do you know why Joab and Abiathar and everyone else that was present at that party were there? They weren't there for Adonijah. They were there because they selfishly wanted power. When they could see that not only the power was not going to happen, but their life was at risk, they had no loyalty. They jumped ship. Adonijah's desertion. They deserted him. They ran from him. Letter B, we see Adonijah's desperation. So now what's Adonijah going to do? He's all alone. He declared himself to be king. He had some powerful people around him. He was not the people's choice in the end. Verse 50 And Adonijah feared because of Solomon and arose and went and caught hold on the horns of the altar. And it was told Solomon, saying, Behold, Adonijah feareth King Solomon, for lo, he hath caught hold on the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear unto me this day that he will not slay his servant with his sword. So what did he do? He did not run and hide in a cave. He did not go and flee to another country. 
He ran to where the altar was where the sacrifices were and he grabbed hold of the horns and he just sat there. And he held on to them and he pleaded with those to communicate to Solomon, please have my half-brother Solomon not kill me. Please have him spare my life. Now, a good sign of a leader is that he does not react, he responds. For a woman, she does not react, but she responds. The difference between reaction and responding is usually time and emotional stability. When somebody says something to me I don't like, to react would be to lash back out and to let them have it and to give them exactly what I think and act harshly in their direction. Respond is for me to hold my tongue and take a couple steps back and wait on it and think on it and get some perspective on it and then act carefully. Now, how did David handle these things? Was David one to react or was David one to respond? Usually David was one to respond. Notice he did not kill Saul. Right? He responded. Now here you have David, or Solomon, he's being, being given his first test as king. You know, to react would be to have Adonijah taken back, out back and killed. He could have done it, and no one would have questioned it. Is that how, David, how Solomon's going to have it, handle it? Let her see. We see Solomon's discernment. Look at verse number 52. And if you're going to move through transitions, you must move with great faith, great courage, and great boldness. And I'll add one more, great wisdom. Look at 52. And Solomon said, If he will show himself a worthy man, there shall not an hair of him fall to the earth. But if wickedness shall be found in him, he shall die. So King Solomon sent, and they brought him down from the altar. And he came and bowed himself to King Solomon. And Solomon said unto him, Go to thine house. Not only did he not exile him, he let him go home to his own house because he did not believe Adonijah to be a real threat. You know what that takes? That takes great security in who you are as a leader. To not act out and have him killed. And so great discernment was shown. I finished with this this evening. And by the way, we're not going to, um, we're going to let tonight be the last night. Look with me at chapter 2. Let me just show you a verse here. Chapter 2, verse 10. Again, the purpose of this was to cover the life of David. And, and, and we're done covering David. Look at verse 10 of chapter 2. So David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And so therein ends the life of, the study of the life of David. Uh, he lived a good long life and was a man after God's own heart. Let me just say this, is that Solomon learned great discernment from his father. While, his father, while, his, while, while Solomon's dad, David, was not the best parent, David did show great discernment in how he handled people. And I just want to say to you tonight, learn how to move through transitions by being a man or woman of great wisdom. Amen? Amen. Alright, let's stand together. We're going to go serve our Savior the rest of the week. Be a good Christian this week. What does that mean? That means live like Christ, act like Christ, talk like Christ, think like Christ. That's your admonition the rest of the week. Alright? Wake up tomorrow morning, spend some time in the Bible and prayer. Get yourself going. And uh, let's go serve Jesus the rest of this week.